like Salesforce, there are businesses that are doing the right thing. Aloha! No, no. Aloha! Salesforce has transformed the way businesses do business. The reality is nothing is more important to me than the success of our customers. One of the most admired companies in the world. That is why we're here as Trailblazers, because we are here to make the world better. The doors are open here for everybody. We just need to go through them. Hello and welcome to Inside the Ohana. This episode features an interview with Suzanne DiBianca, the Executive Vice President of Corporate Relations and Chief Impact Officer at Salesforce. In this episode, Suzanne dives deep into Salesforce endeavors to create a sustainable future from growing 1 trillion trees to energizing the ecopreneur revolution and shares why it's an all hands on deck effort. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Inside the Ohana is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding signals of buying intent and having real-time conversations. Learn more over on qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Suzanne DiBianca and your host, Dan Darcy. Welcome to Inside the Ohana. I'm Dan Darcy, Chief Customer Officer at Qualified, and today I'm joined by my great friend, Suzanne DiBianca. Suzanne, how are you? I'm good, Dan, it's great to be here. Good, good. Well, I wanna dive right into our first segment, Ohana Origins. Origin story begins. This is my origin story. This is an origin story. How did you discover Salesforce? I had breakfast with a friend. I said, I think I really want to run a foundation. You know, I'm coming from a technology company. We did it in our small little firm. It made a huge difference to our culture. It'd be really cool to sort of mash up my technology expertise with this philanthropic work that I'm committed to. And then she had dinner that night with Mark Benioff, who said, you know, I really want to start a foundation as I'm starting this new company. And she said, you know, I'd represent somebody who'd be amazing for you. And so the recruiter at the time was a woman named Nancy Connery, who I had spent, who I knew a little bit from college. I'd spent a couple of jazz fests with, in fact. And so went in for an interview and there was the dot-com boom. And I I followed a lot of sort of blank ends. And this one, you know, Mark had a bank balance and a stack of legal documents and said, let's go. I want to create a new kind of a company. What was your initial impression of Salesforce overall? This whole idea of software as a service was really new. And I thought it was a super bold vision. Someone who had just come out of CSC consulting and done a lot of Oracle implementations in my time and all the things. And I thought it was a great model and it was really innovative. And, you know, I thought the CEO had a had a really incredible vision and was really willing to swim upstream to make it happen. I want you to take a little bit here and brag because you've had an amazing career since 2001 at Salesforce. What's one of the biggest successes that you are really most proud of? I think, honestly, the biggest successes is companies I qualified. Companies like Okta, companies, you know, like Twilio, that I've had the Zora, that I've had the opportunity to know those CEOs. And they really embraced like, you know, you did in your many years at Salesforce, this whole idea. And then went out and started their own companies, you know, and just this kind of ripple, this stone that we threw has had incredible ripples. And, you know, Pledge 1% now has 
you know, 10,000 companies that have raised their hand and said, we're going to give a percent of our equity and our people and our products to improve the state of the world. And that's super cool. You know, they've given a billion, actually, I was just looking at the numbers, closer to 2 billion now in net new philanthropy that was created as a result of starting that effort. So, you know, we just created a playbook and people like you took it. So I'm super grateful for that. I mean, talk a little bit about that. What are some of the challenges that you experienced as you kind of brought that philosophy to Salesforce and really to the tech world? Yeah, you know, I think that it all started through the 111 model, which was just me going out and surveying other companies that I liked and respected, like Levi's. Can you explain the 111 model yeah. to everyone out there? I, I know sure. a lot of people do know this in the Ohana, but not everyone. So it was essentially, you know, 1% of our equity. So we put 1% of our pre IPO stock into a foundation that then funded our work for a lot of years. We were able to do that with Google. We, I went down there, Mark and I joked that this was the best three days of my job, maybe, which was going down and working with their exec team before their IPO. They put a percent of their equity aside and it went from zero to a billion dollars on day one, which is pretty amazing. So percent of your equity, per percent of employees time, we give six paid days and then a percent of our products. So, you know, at least 1% of our customers will be free customers. And we put together a whole program for nonprofits and how Salesforce could help them. So 1% of equity, 1% of time, 1% of power. People have now, you know, fast forward a million years have changed it. Some are doing profit, 1% for the planet, which I'm really interested in adding. So, you know, it's sort of manifested in different companies in different ways, but the equity is the most important for a startup. The people are second most important. I think of your products, so depending on what you do. So when I kind of went back on this industry scan, you know, eBay had been the first one to put equity aside. And I told Mark that, and Cisco did incredible stuff with product donation, especially like in disaster release areas with their technology. And then Hasbro really did a phenomenal job on volunteerism. So we smashed them all together and said, you know, we want to take it in an integrated way. And that's where 111 came from. Now, thinking back on your career at Salesforce, what would you say is one of your biggest lessons learned? I think a couple things. One is it's incredibly, I always say to anyone I'm interviewing that to be successful at Salesforce, you have to be able to toggle two totally the opposite things, two dichotomies at the same time. One is you have to be incredibly focused and really know what you're doing, have clear metrics around it. And alongside of that, you have to be okay with wild ambiguity <laughs> and innovation. So like, if you can't hold those two things simultaneously, I've learned, like you can't be successful at a company like Salesforce, who's thinking about innovation and scale at the same time. The second thing is the importance of being the other dichotomy being like being able to be highly strategic and radically operational. You know, there's no I've been here a long time. In some cases, I do my own decks. They're not pretty, but, <laughs> you know, to be able to kind of roll up your sleeves and like do the work and not just be strategic. So you'll fail at Salesforce if you can't hold those two dichotomies simultaneously. And so I kind of think I learned how to be a leader in that environment. Creating a big vision and then getting into the weeds and rolling up your sleeves to actually translate that vision into actionable reality. Yeah. Results. So if you could go back, you know, in time to Suzanne 
2001, just starting out, what advice would you give yourself? Ask for more money. (laughs) More budget. More budget, exactly. I think, you know, I'm a big fan, frankly, of women advocating for themselves, particularly as it relates to compensation. It's not a strength of ours generally, you know, but that said, it's about the budget at the time is sort of funny because we had no people, no, not much product and no equity that was worth anything. So we had to figure out how to make impact in that context. So I want to ask you about the meaning of Ohana. And I asked this of all my guests because everyone really describes it a little bit differently. And when I talk to folks, it's hard to describe the Ohana. How would you describe the Ohana and what does it really mean to you? Well, for me, you know, Ohana means family. It's the origin of the word. But for me, what it means is that we have each other's backs. Fundamentally, that you're putting the team forward against the individual, that you've, you know, you might not be in full agreement, but you're willing to get aligned and have someone's total back. And so for me, Ohana means like, you know, I got you quite honestly, and and I'll work with you to make, you know, something more than we could make sort of on our own individually, but kind of looking out for the pack, if you will. I love it. Now, before we get into our next segment, are there any special stories or Ohana moments that are a little behind the scenes that you'd like to share with everyone? Oh, there's like a million. I think one that's just top of mind because we work with a we've worked with a group called the Arc in San Francisco, people with different abilities. And we just lost our first Arc employee who just passed away. Incredible human, 20 years with the company, did everything from cleaning the whiteboards to making coffee to walking the golden retriever to helping conference rooms. The Ohana moment for me there was the way that our employees looked after him. And even actually after they left the company, they would take him fishing on the weekends. You know, they gave him relationship advice. And there was like a, they organized the whole service like from just start to finish, like they had his back like a thousand percent as a human. And I'll just never forget a time when he was in the hospital. He actually had both of his legs amputated during his time at Salesforce. And he drove around this little car. He used to deliver candy to people and always with a smile. And I went to the hospital to see him and I brought my daughter and I had made some banana bread for him. It was around the holidays And first of all, there was a whole schedule that they had some employees had put together to like sign up to visit Michael so he wasn't lonely. And I was like, where, you know, I'm here to visit this person. Where is his room? And the nurses smiled and just looked at each other and said, just go down the hallway, make a right and you'll see it. So I would go down in the hospital, the very white, you know, like, you know, sterile hospital and I make a right. (laughs) Yeah. And at the end of the hallway, I see this like pulsating room, like these lights, this flashing. I get down there and like people, there had been like a whole group of employees that day who had decorated his room with Christmas lights and a Christmas tree and all these holiday lights. And there was flowers and gifts. And it was like the brightest place in the hospital for sure. And so anyway, that for me, those are, it's the employees that really give of themselves. I think that demonstrate Ohana. I get chills because that is exactly a perfect Ohana moment. It reminds me, you know, of the ARC employee that we were affectionately hanging out with all the time too, Maria McGovern. And, you know, Craig Scholl taking her out to McDonald's for lunch every once in a while with Mike Rosenbaum. 
I mean, those are really special moments where, to your point, where we've got each other's back and are taking care of each other. So I want to get into our next segment, What's Cooking? Hey, buddy, what's cooking? Let's both cook together. Yeah, cooking, 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 cooking now. All right. You are now the EVP of Corporate Relations and the Chief Impact Officer at Salesforce. I would love for you to talk about how you got to where you are now and what your journey has been like in this current role. You know, it was a role that we sort of invented. Interestingly, there's like now a ton of people with the same title. And it kind of means different things in different companies. And for us, it was, you know, my journey was I ran the foundation for eight years as a strict, non- a sort of straight nonprofit, charitable, giving a lot of focus on volunteerism and grants product in particular. But then I built some business units. So then I spent the next kind of eight years running a P&L and I built the .org team up to, you know, about 200 million in revenue and with a couple focus on a couple markets. And then I kind of needed another challenge. So I, you know, kind of pitched to our CEO. I said, you know, we do, it was after what the work we had done with Equal Pay led by, you know, our friends, Leila Seca and Cindy Robbins. And the work that we had started to do around equality, specific to the Indiana case where we went to bat at Congress for equality in non-discrimination against folks that were homosexual. And I looked around the company and said, we could do so much. We are doing so much more as it relates to a business as a platform for change. And yet the only people who can really talk about that holistically are the CEO and are Mark and me. So I think we need actually a strategy. We need a bigger strategy for the company about what it really means to be a platform for change. We need to pull all those pieces together. I want to do some other things, look around the company and see where else we could be driving impact. So I looked at the Ventures Fund and I said, could I have the $150 million off the balance sheet so I can invest in entrepreneurs? And that's been wildly successful. And then climate. I just kind of looked around at the world and said, what's happening? And, you know, we really have a decade to keep to a 1.5 degree temperature rise. And we're now two and a half years into it. So we, you know, it's a problem that has a clock against it. And I sort of thought we really need to be doing a lot more as it relates to helping mitigate climate change. Why don't you talk a little bit more about that? And, you know, I know Salesforce announced, you know, one of their now core values really is around sustainability and really giving back. What is obviously the main projects that you were working on, you know, for Salesforce and the, the entire ecosystem? When we add a value, we really operationalize it, which is what I love about it. I don't think we'll add another one for a long time. So um, what we're really focused on, so I'm super excited because what that means is that everyone in the company, or at least I asked and I hope that everyone in the company is doing something now to help on that value, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, et cetera. So the three things the company is working on is net zero now getting all of our customers to net zero. I built a little product because I needed it to manage and measure Salesforce's carbon footprint. And there was nothing good in the market. So we've packaged up, we've built it, really surged investment. I've moved it into the product organization and really focus on helping get all of our customers to net zero. A lot of people have made targets, but don't actually know where to start or how to measure it. So I'm really excited to take our technology and drive net zero home. Salesforce today is net zero. We're powered by 100% renewable energy. All of our customers, all of our, like, you know, everyone using Salesforce, it's a green product. We offset, you know, whatever the energy it takes to run software. 
So net zero now, number one. Number two, trillion trees. Because just like we have to reduce emissions, we've got to get all the carbon that's in the air out. And so really focused on nature-based solutions as a way to do that. I also love trees because it really is aligned to like our equality value because it you can be on whatever side of the political aisle, whatever age, whatever country. It's a really inclusive program. And so it's cool. So focus on a trillion trees. And then lastly is ecopreneurs. So I talked a little bit about the venture fund that I run is one way we're looking for ecopreneurs, but just all over the place. How can we be finding all these entrepreneurs working clean energy and carbon reduction technologies? And how can we really put wind in their sails through our technology, through our people, through our resources? Those are all incredible. So I'm curious, what challenges with those things that you are, those initiatives of the net zero, the trillion tree and the ecopreneurs, of those initiatives, what challenges are you seeing with that? And how are you applying what you learned at Salesforce to those challenges? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing is when you're standing up a new product, you really have to listen to customer feedback. And in this area, the customers need so many different things. So if you're a manufacturer or say you're a, a, CP, a CPG company like a Pepsi or a Coke, you're thinking a lot about water and how that really plays into your environmental footprint, especially in places with extreme drought, et cetera. But if you're a Volkswagen, you're thinking about circular economy and supply chains. So I think a challenge is really, this product is incredible that we're building. And we also know we need to do industry-specific solutions. And so that focus, that those calls on prioritization are tough. And so, you know, one of the ways that we're thinking about it is like, how do we bring partners and the ecosystem in to build industry specific apps or to build, you know, connectors? Some of these customers really want ESG data, not just environment, but they want all of it. So, you know, I think there is places that the ecosystem can really build out solutions and we can stay really focused on, you know, carbon, water, waste or sort of the three things we're focused on in particular. So that's just kind of one example. So, Suze, what is next for you and how are you shaping the future? I'm thinking a lot about acceleration. I'm thinking a lot about scale. Like, this is a problem that hits every human. It's going to hit our kids in particular. So I got to really look at what works and help get to scale. I'm not thinking in an incremental way. I'm always looking for new innovation, but I'm really looking for how, you know, it's like when I took this job, one of the first things I did is said like a 2040 target, a 2030 target for Net zero is way too far. Like we got to do it now. We got to do like do it now, like this year. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm just thinking a lot about how do we accelerate our customers on this journey? How can we invest and in, accelerate with them and our partners? We've just got when we were in Davos, the World Economic Forum, and this trillion tree effort that we helped to found and is now really being run as a consortium out of WEF. They just got China to pledge sixty billion trees against the trillion tree goal. So like, where can we take really big swings in really tough places that is gonna drive impact? Let's get into our final segment, the future forecast. So where are we headed? Where the forecast predicts the future. So what do you envision as the future of the Salesforce ecosystem? I think it's along these lines of industry enablement. I think that's really powerful, really solving problems from our customers that you know our Salesforce is not going to solve. I think, you know, also I'm going to call out the ecosystem and it's been incredible in our ability to multiply impact. So, you know, hire veterans 
take a percent of your equity, you know, put it aside for your community before your IPO. There's a way to do it. I'm happy to work with your founders <laughs> to make it work over time. <laughs> and, you know, do what you can to be a company that looks after people and, you know, has their back and hires people that need a shot that don't have traditional resumes and give your folks some space to innovate outside their day job. So anyway, I think that it's just, again, I'm in this kind of acceleration scale mindset. And I think that applies to our ecosystem too. Can you give us a prediction of what you think sustainability is going to look like in the future? I'm like a hopeful person. So I just think we're going to see more climate related and disasters. But I do think that people are going to, I think solar is going to, it's already taking off. The electrification of the grid is happening the electrification of cars is happening in California. You won't be, they won't be able to sell a non-electric car in 2030. Like it's good. We're going to be, we're going to be living off the grid. And I think the pandemic, at least for me, really helped me remember the importance of nature and biodiversity and species loss and food ecosystems. So I think we're going to return to more of a balance for sure. We have to. What does the future of Salesforce look like? Oh, Salesforce is just going to continue on its journey to be the best digital headquarters, you know, for any customer. The technology transformation that we can provide, particularly as it relates to driving efficiency, getting closer to your customer, I think we're just going to continue to innovate and do that more at scale. So, Suze, do you have any advice for anyone and our listeners out there who have aspirations to start a foundation or you know, they want to make a difference in the world, what advice would you have for them? Well, I would say, first of all, probably don't start a foundation. <laughs> Quite honestly, there's a whole bunch of better ways. You could do a DAF at the Tides Foundation, a whole bunch of other stuff that takes the legal and all the headache out of it. The message would be do something and start small and, you know, find out like me, find out what people are passionate about and lift them up. You know, don't wait and work on climate. Yeah. It's like we need all hands Sage on Sage advice. So before letting you go, let's have fun with a quick lightning round. Cue the lightning. You mean lightning. Lightning. Lightning fast. <laughs> Are you ready for this? I'm ready for it. Okay. Favorite product, not Salesforce. <laughs> Spotify. <laughs> Good. Classic or lightning? Lightning, of course, lightning. Favorite Salesforce character? Cody, the bear. Favorite brand of anything also besides Salesforce? Should I say Yeti? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's, Yeti is the best. It's not mine. It's a uh, favorite brand would be, God, I'm so not a brand person. Uh, Amazon. I use a lot of Amazon. Secret skill that is not on the resume. I could whistle super loud. You just run front row seats to tickets of your dream event. What is that event? It's one of two. I, there's two rock icons that are still alive that I really want to see that I haven't seen yet. And they are so either tickets to see the Rolling Stones or Paul McCartney. Love it. Suzanne, this has been so much fun. But before I let you go, I, let the listeners know where they can find you. And is there anything else you would like to share or plug? You can find me on Twitter. That's Suzanne Bianchi. You can find me on LinkedIn. And I don't think so. I think we talked about a lot. I, again, I think it's just, I guess maybe the last thing I'll, I'll share is one of the, one of the upsides of the pandemic for me is that like mental health is not a dirty word anymore. And everybody went through something or knew someone who went through something and people are still struggling and it's still weird times. But what I've found over the course of the journey here is like the best antidepressant ever is not 
like a pill or a program, it's being of service to and doing something beyond yourself. So I don't know if you're a, if you're in a place or know someone's in a place like, you know, getting them to volunteer is a way to just get happy and healthy again. So it's not really a Salesforce message plug, but it's just something that I learned and I think is still true in the world. And I just encourage people to get out there. I love it. Thank you, Suzanne, so much for your time today. Thanks, Dan. Inside the Ohana is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, the conversational sales and marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate and review it and tell a friend. Thank you for listening.